Welcome to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth, useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we'll be looking at the story of Naaman from 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman was a man in search of an answer to a dilemma that he faced. A message of hope inspired him on a journey that eventually led him to the God of Israel. In our search for answers, we will find ourselves standing before God. That is the big idea in today's message. So let's look at 2 Kings chapter 5, reading verses 1 to 19 in the New Living Translation. I want to take time today to look at the details of this story. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria he would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out, carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter, I present my servant, Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elijah's house. But Elijah sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar far better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away 
in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. When Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God, they stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. But Elijah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elijah refused. Then Naaman said, All right, please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Ramon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Go in peace, Elijah said. So Naaman started home again. This chapter begins with the identity of the main character in the text, Naaman. Verse 1 says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. So look at the description given to Naaman. First, he was held in high esteem by the king. Verse 1 says, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman. That's the New Living Translation. The NIV uses these words. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Secondly, he was given a position of high trust, the commander-in-chief of the Syrian army. The authorized standard version refers to Naaman as the captain of the host of the king of Syria. The English Standard Version refers to Naaman as commander of the army of the king of Syria. Thirdly, he was a man of great military accomplishment. Our text says, Through him the Lord had given Aram great victory. The English Standard Version says, By him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Fourthly, he had all the qualifications of an able general. Our text says that Naaman was a mighty warrior. The English Standard Version says he was a mighty man of valor. After all of these glowing recommendations, we are told that Naaman suffered from leprosy. This man of position and high honor, the commander-in-chief of the Syrian army, was afflicted with leprosy. In Israel, lepers were normally isolated from the general public to prevent the spreading of the disease. But this was not the custom in all cultures. Naaman was able to carry on his duties 
as long as the disease permitted him to do so. He continued to hold high state office and be in close association with the king in spite of his condition. He was afflicted with one of the most humiliating diseases in the ancient world. A man of great outward success had a condition which ate away at his body and eventually would kill him, a condition in which there was no cure at that time. Naaman had a lot going for him, but what he had against him was devastating. He was the top military official in the land. He had success, he had rank, but he also had leprosy. No matter how good and successful everything was in Naaman's life, he still had leprosy. There are many today who have reached their goals. They have fame, they have success, they have wealth, yet they still have a deep longing in their heart for something more. They feel deep down in their soul they are missing something. Listen to the words of Blaise Pascal. What else does this craving This helplessness proclaimed but there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Pascal speaks of an emptiness in man that only God can fill. Bill Bright says something very similar in these words. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. What Blaise Pascal and Bill Bright are saying is that man has an emptiness, a vacuum that only God can fill. In this same way, Naaman was searching for an answer to his dilemma, and what he found was more than he expected. So let's break down this story and take a closer look at Naaman's search. Verses 1 and 2. I've called this a message of hope. So let's look at verse 2. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. This explains how a Hebrew slave girl became a member of Naaman's household. This girl was an unwilling missionary, taken captive from Israel and now in Syria. God used the tragedy of her captivity to accomplish a greater good. I imagine that Naaman had probably sought help from his Syrian gods to heal his condition. Without any results, he looked into other possibilities of healing. In his search for healing, he learned of a prophet in Samaria who operated in the miraculous because God was with him, that is, the God of Israel. Verse 3 records the words of this slave girl, a member of Naaman's household. I wish my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. This young slave girl illustrates the mysterious ways that God works. 
This girl is an outstanding example of a faithful witness, regardless of her current circumstances. She cared enough to speak up, and she had faith enough to believe that Elijah would heal her master of leprosy. Her readiness to share her faith in God, the God of Elijah, was a significant factor in Naaman's search. Whatever place you find yourself in, regardless of how you got there, the family that you're in, the school that you attend, the workplace that you're in, the gym that you're a member of, the grocery store that you shop at, whatever your circumstances, God wants you to be his witness in the place that you find yourself. This young slave girl planted a seed of truth in Naaman, which put him on a search. We are to plant seeds of truth, which will put those around us on a path in search of truth. The dawn of hope began to arise in Naaman because of a message from this slave girl. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. That's verse 4. The message of hope leads to the search for healing. So the next part of the story we've called the search for healing, verses 5 to 10. Look at the words that the king speaks to Naaman in verse 5. Go and visit the prophet. The Aramean king was anxious to see that his commander be cleansed from leprosy. Not only was he a trusted friend, but also this dreaded disease would eventually kill him, robbing the king of his top military commander. Look at the measures that the king takes to facilitate Naaman's success in his search for healing. Verse 5 goes on to say, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The gift sent with Naaman was exorbitant. The estimated value of these gifts in today's currency has been estimated to be about $1.2 million. This clearly points out how desperate Naaman's condition was and how badly the king of Syria wanted this man restored to health. Naaman set out to visit the king of Israel, who he assumed would order the prophet to cure him. Verse 6 records the content of the letter from the king of Syria. With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. The letter requested that King Joram, that is the king of Israel, provide healing for Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. That's the words of the NIV. The ESV uses these words. Know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. So the king's request was that the king of Israel heal him of his leprosy, or see to it that he's healed of his leprosy. So the powerful king of Syria An enemy of Israel sends his top general to the king of Israel to request healing for his general. The king of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel, thinking that this would be the best approach, believing that the prophet would be under his control and that he would simply order the prophet to heal Naaman. 
he of course didn't know the relationship between Elisha and the king of Israel. It was adversarial. What did the king of Israel think about this request? When Joram read this letter, he was understandably upset. The scriptures say this in verse 7. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he is just trying to pick a fight with me. The scriptures say that he tore his clothes. The tearing of robes, especially royal robes, were a sign of mourning, grief, and dismay. In other words, great emotional pain. Such an act would have signaled a national crisis or tragedy. Joram probably thought that the king of Syria was looking for an excuse to declare war on Israel. I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me, verse 7 says. It was obvious that he had no power to heal Naaman's leprosy. He had no relationship with Elijah the prophet, who did have the power to heal Naaman of his leprosy. In fact, Joram, the king of Israel, had no use for Elijah the prophet, who constantly opposed him. He wanted as little contact as possible with this prophet. Look at verse 8. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. No doubt Joram had many false prophets in his court that he employed, but none of them could heal a man of leprosy. Elijah heard about the king's dilemma, the crisis that the king faced. Elijah reproved the king for his unbelief. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, were his words in verse 8. In essence, what Elijah was saying to the king of Israel was this, do not fear that war shall erupt because of your inability to heal Naaman. Almighty God will heal Naaman. Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. The words of verse 8. Naaman would never know that there is a true prophet in Israel by hanging around the royal court of Israel. The king of Israel appears to have forgotten that there was a prophet of the true God in Israel. God's prophet wasn't welcome or recognized in the king's palace. Verse 9 says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elijah's house. Imagine this great important man from Syria coming to the humble home of Elijah with his horses and chariots. Imagine the proud display of wealth and status as Naaman approached the humble house of Elijah. Naaman and his entourage stopped at the door of Elijah and waited. Verse 9. Imagine the discussion on the other side of the door between Elijah and his servant. Gehazi is identified as a servant of Elijah in verse 20. However, the messenger sent out to Naaman in verse 10 is unnamed. 
I am going to call him Elijah's servant. On the other side of the door, Elijah's servant says to Elijah, Elijah, you should go out and greet these men. They look like they're important people. Elijah, not yet. Let's make them wait. Elijah's servant minutes later says, Master, they've been waiting for a while. Shouldn't you go out and greet them? Elijah, not yet. Let's wait. Elijah's servant minutes later says, Master, how long are we going to wait? They are still standing out there. Elijah, just a little bit longer. Elijah's servant minutes later says, They have already knocked at the door three times. Shouldn't we answer the door? Elisha, just a little bit longer. Elijah's servant, they have been waiting a long time. I will open the door for you. Elisha, no, I want you to give them a message from the Lord. Verse 10 says this, But Elijah sent a messenger out to him with this message, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Elijah, not at all impressed with this man's position, wealth, or status, did not even come out to speak with Naaman in person. Instead, he conveyed some very simple instructions to Naaman through his servant. The waters of the Jordan had no power to remove leprosy or any other disease for that matter. But God chose to make them the means by which he would transmit his healing power. Since Elijah was probably in Samaria, the trip to the Jordan River would have been a distance of about 40 miles away. Elijah knew what he was doing in giving these instructions to Naaman through his servant. The search for healing resulted in a test of Naaman's faith. Testing Naaman's faith involved unfulfilled expectations. Naaman had been given a message of hope, which put him on a journey, a search for healing. Now he comes up against a barrier, what I've called unfulfilled expectations. The next part of the story is called unfulfilled expectations, verses 11 and 12. Elisha's instructions to Naaman through the messenger is found in verse 10. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Naaman was told to dip seven times in the Jordan River and he would be freed of his disease. The cure lay not in the water of the Jordan River, but in obedience and faith in God's promise of healing. The instructions were simple, and the promise of healing was understood, but obedient action was required. The Bible says that Naaman became angry. Verse 11. Naaman was enraged at the treatment he had received from Elijah. The rude reception of a foreign dignitary incensed Naaman. Naaman had taken the time and trouble to come to the house of Elisha, but Elisha refused to give him a personal audience. Elijah had sent a servant, a proxy, to give him instructions for his healing. This action humiliated Naaman, 
who was accustomed to being honored and respected as an important Syrian official. Naaman held an exalted position in which men bowed to him and served him in a reverential way. Naaman expected to be treated with honor and respect by the prophet. Does any of this sound like pride to you? Pride is having a high opinion of oneself, a feeling of pleasure in one's achievement and status. Does this sound like Naaman? Naaman was required to humble himself in obedience and faith to the God of Israel. The Bible says that Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. This is all found in verse 11. He expected Elijah, the practitioner of healing, to be part of the healing process because he was the one who would acquire healing for Naaman. This was one of his false expectations. Naaman, as a pagan, may have thought that the presence of the practitioner was important for the healing to occur. Naaman goes on in his rant in the second part of verse 11. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Naaman had certain expectations as to how this healing was going to take place. Surely his healing would involve some elaborate religious ceremony in keeping with his high political status. This was another false expectation that Naaman had. He was offended when it didn't work out the way he expected. Naaman had a whole set of expectations that were not being fulfilled, and this made him angry. This became a barrier for him. It also exposed something in him. Have you noticed that God rarely, if ever, fulfills our expectations? God's ways are not our ways. Naaman was about to receive a lesson in humility and learned that he owed his healing not to the magical words or touch of a prophet, but solely to the God of Israel. Look at Naaman's expectations. First, he expected to meet the prophet in person. Verse 11 says, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. That's the New Living Translation. In the East, it was an unwritten code that a visitor should be received by his host. Elisha did not do this. Two, he expected to be shown respect and honor by the prophet. Verse 11 in the New Living Translation says this, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand. So the thought here is that the prophet of God would present himself before Naaman as a man of high esteem, showing him respect and honor. Third, he expected the prophet to call on the name of his God for healing, to stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God. So the thought here is that both the prophet and his God shall appear before me and do me service and honor. And fourthly, he expected to receive healing immediately, to wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Again, that's verse 11. Naaman should be healed of leprosy because he is such a worthy candidate for healing. A cleansing ceremony should be provided in keeping with his position and importance. None of these expectations were fulfilled. 
when Naaman's expectations were not fulfilled, he became angry. Verse 11 says, Naaman became angry and stalked away. That's the words of the New Living Translation. The NASB uses these words. Naaman was furious. Verse 12 says, Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and Parfar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Naaman wanted nothing to do with washing in the dirty Jordan River. The way to receive healing was to wash in the Jordan. But Naaman reasoned, we have much better rivers in our own land. The idea of purification by washing in a river was not a foreign idea to Naaman. Mesopotamian purification rites were accomplished by dipping seven times in the river, facing upstream and seven times facing downstream. The flowing water was believed to carry the impurities to the netherworld. Elijah's instructions to Naaman would be something that he would be familiar with. Yet Naaman turned and went away in a rage, the scriptures tell us. A proud man, full of expectations of how he thought it should be done. Pride can cost us. In this case, pride could cost Naaman his healing. The Bible has nothing good to say about pride. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. This is from the Message Translation. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Proverbs 29 and verse 23. This is also in the Message Translation. Pride lands you flat on your face. Humility prepares you for honors. In other words, pride leads one to a downfall. And then James 4 and verse 6. This is from the ESV. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Naaman had been given a message of hope, which put him on a search for healing. Now he comes to a barrier, pride. I've called it unfulfilled expectations. The instructions Naaman was given by Elijah required humble obedience. Pride was Naaman's real problem, and God had exposed it in requiring humble obedience. The next part of the story is called Humble Obedience, verses 13 and 14. Elijah's simple instructions had exposed something in Naaman. God often offends us in order to expose something hidden within. Naaman was a proud man. Dipping in the Jordan River was an assault on his pride. Naaman was too proud to follow Elisha's instructions. A requirement for healing, dipping in the Jordan River seven times. As Naaman turned and went away in a rage, verse 13 tells us his officers tried to reason with him. They pointed out that it was not as though Elisha had required something difficult or impossible for Naaman to do. Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? That's the words of verse 13. The NIV uses the words, 
some great thing. Sir, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? What harm would there be in giving his remedy a try? As a man who was used to great challenges, this is no great task for him. So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. That's verse 13. In other words, this is no big deal. He was eventually persuaded by his officers to humble himself and follow the instructions given by Elijah. Spurgeon says that Naaman was attacked by two enemies, proud self and evil questioning. Proud self who internally demanded that Elijah come out and see him. Evil questioning who questioned why he should wash in the Jordan when he had better rivers back in his own homeland. Naaman overcame these two enemies and did what God required of him. Verse 14 tells us, So Naaman went down to the Jordan River. His men had managed to change his mind. Naaman did exactly what Elijah told him to do. Undoubtedly feeling rather ashamed, Naaman humbled himself and obeyed the word of the Lord. Let's not underestimate how difficult this action was for Naaman, a proud man. He had leprosy. He probably had been able to cover up his condition from those around him. But to dip in the Jordan River would mean that he would have to remove his clothes, which meant he would be exposed for all to see his real condition. He would be exposing his diseased body to the world. This would have been extremely humbling for Naaman. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. That's verse 14. Each dunk in the Jordan was a step of faith, trusting in the word of God given through the prophet Elijah. Notice that he was to dip himself seven times. Seven is a significant number in the scriptures. Seven times Israel was to march around the walls of Jericho. That's Joshua 6. Seven times Elijah told his servant to look towards the sea. That's 1 Kings 18. On the seventh day, God rested from his work of creation, Genesis 2. So seven is the number of completion. Having fulfilled what God required by dipping himself seven times in the river, Naaman was healed. Verse 14, And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. Naaman's faith was generously rewarded. God answered his obedient faith with a complete and miraculous healing. The miracle occurred without the prophet's presence so that only God could be given the credit for this healing. It was obvious that the healing came from Yahweh God rather than from some sort of magical pagan incantation. The loathsome diseased flesh was now entirely gone. His flesh assumed the appearance and health of a young person. Naaman's story now moves on from humble obedience to more than expected. Verses 15 to 19. Verse 15 tells us, Then Naaman and his entire party 
went back to find the man of God. Naaman was grateful for his healing and went out of his way to return to the house of Elisha. From the Jordan to Samaria, it was about a distance of 40 miles. When they returned to the house of Elijah, it says that they stood before him. Verse 15. Rather than expecting Elijah to come to him, he willingly stood before the prophet. The God of Israel and his prophet are now honored by Naaman. Naaman had been truly humbled by his experience at the Jordan River. His pride had been left behind in the river. Does Naaman's experience at all sound familiar? That is our experience at water baptism. The old is left behind. We have become new. That's what happens to us at water baptism. It's a reenactment of our death on the cross, along with Jesus. When Jesus died, we died. We are dead. And water baptism is a reenactment of that death. Verse 15 tells us that Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. He experienced the God of Israel through this healing, and he felt gratitude for the cleansing from leprosy. Naaman came back to the house of Elijah to acknowledge in the most public way his obligation to the God of Israel and to his servant, the prophet Elisha. Look at the confession of Naaman in verse 15. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Unfortunately, Many in Israel, including the king himself, had not come to believe this. Look at the strong statement made by the commander-in-chief of the Syrian army. The Syrians believed in the pagan god Ramon, according to verse 18. But Naaman was saying that the God of Israel is the only God in all the earth. There is no other gods. He was renouncing belief in any other gods except Yahweh, the God of Israel. He was convinced that the God of Elisha was the true God of all the world. This sounds a lot like the Hebrew Shema, Judaism's basic confession of faith. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Hebrew Shema. The word Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. That's the first word in this Hebrew statement of faith. The verse proclaims the Lord, Yahweh, is totally unique. He alone is God. There is none other like him. The Lord is one. He is the one and only God of all the earth. This is what Naaman came to believe about Yahweh God, the God of Israel. He goes on to say, So please accept a gift from your servant. That's verse 15. He wanted Elijah to accept his gift, which he offered to express his gratitude for his healing. He thought it right to acknowledge the healing given to him by the God of Israel and to reward and honor his servant. The Bible says, But Elijah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. That's verse 16. But the prophet Elijah refused to accept 
any compensation for his ministry. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. That's verse 16. Naaman's urging did not budge Elisha. This story makes it clear that the prophet Elisha was not acting from a motivation of self-interest or financial greed. If you are familiar with the end of this story, you will understand why this point is made very clear. The man of God does not perform healing or miracles for reward, but only at the word of the Lord. In the New Testament, Peter rebuked Simon the sorcerer who desired to purchase God's gifts. Acts 8 and verse 20 from the ESV. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Naaman goes on to make an unusual request in verse 17. Then Naaman said, All right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place. I will take it back home with me. Why such an unusual request? Naaman held to the common belief in the ancient world that the gods ruled over certain geographical areas. He thought that if he could take a piece of Israel back with him to Syria, he could better worship the God of Israel. The God of Israel was the God that Naaman wanted to worship. He had switched his allegiance from his pagan gods to the God of Israel. Naaman asked, for as much earth as he could carry back to Syria on two mules. Please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place. Verse 17. He intended to use this to make an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. Naaman was still a slave to polytheistic thinking. He believed that no God could be worshipped in a proper and acceptable manner except in his own land or upon an altar built of earth from his own land. He then revealed his motive behind this request. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. Verse 17. This suggests that Naaman intended to build an altar to Yahweh to worship him only. Verse 18. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Rimon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. That's verse 18. In the course of his official duties, he would have to give token respect to the god of his master, the king. The god of Damascus was Hadad Rimon the god of rain and thunder. Here it is shortened to Ramon. Hadad was the head of the Aramean pantheon of gods, in other words, the chief god of Syria. As an official in the government of Syria, Naaman would be expected to participate in the worship of the Assyrian god. His intention was to worship the god of Israel alone. Yet he would be required to go with the king to the temple of Ramon. Verse 18. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Ramon to worship there and leans on my arm, to lean on one's arm is a figurative expression for relying on an assistant for help. 
The picture we are given here is an aged monarch leaning on the arm of Naaman, his trusted advisor and right-hand man. May the Lord pardon me in this one thing. May the Lord pardon me when I bow too. That's verse 18. Naaman had thought a lot about this. The changing of loyalty to the God of Israel had its challenges. Naaman wanted to worship the God of Israel alone. He hoped that the God of Israel would forgive him as he continued to join at least outwardly in the worship of Ramon as a part of his official duties. May the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Verse 18. To bow can be seen as an act of worship. Naaman wanted to know, will God understand when I bow? One must remember that Naaman was not an Israelite, with all the advantages of knowing the revealed will of God, the Old Testament. He asked for Elijah for allowance to direct his heart to Yahweh, even though he was in the temple of Ramon. Elijah responds with, go in peace. Verse 19 says, go in peace, Elijah said. So Naaman started home again. Elijah's reply was neither an approval or a disapproval of these actions. Instead, Elijah left the matter up to Naaman and God. Perhaps he trusted that the Lord would personally convict Naaman of this and give him the integrity and strength to avoid idolatry altogether. We don't know the end of the story, but we do know at this point Naaman's heart and attitude had been changed by the healing that he experienced at the Jordan River. Naaman had experienced God's healing touch, and he believed in and desired to worship the God of Israel alone. In the New Testament, Jesus says this, There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. That's Luke 4, verse 27 in the New Living Translation. According to the New Testament, God's blessing came to Naaman, the Syrian. One of the purposes of this story is to show that the God of Israel was greater than the gods of the Syrians. God's healing power manifested in the healing of Naaman's leprosy clearly demonstrated the superiority of the God of Israel over all other gods. Naaman clearly accepted and believed this truth. So in conclusion, Naaman heard a message of hope from a young slave girl who told him that there was a prophet in Israel capable of healing him of leprosy. I wish my master would go and see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. That's verse 3. These are the words of the slave girl. This message of hope led Naaman to a search for healing. Verse 5. These are the words of the king of Aram to Naaman. Go and visit the prophet. Naaman's expectations of how his healing would come were unfulfilled when he finally did reach the prophet Elisha, and he became angry. Verse 11, I expected him to wave his hand over my leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. These are the angry words of Naaman because of unfulfilled expectations. Naaman is finally convinced by his men to do what the prophet instructed him to do. 
Verse 13. These are the words of Naaman's men. You should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. God's requirement for healing was humble obedience. Pride was the barrier that Naaman eventually overcame, dipping himself seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman received more than physical healing at the Jordan River. Verse 15, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except Israel. Naaman received more than he expected. Never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like this podcast, why not rate and review the podcast on iTunes? There is a website you could visit, relevanttruthpodcast.com where you can find an archive of all of these messages, you can contact me at rockrevmason79 at gmail.com or at the Facebook page, Relevant Truth Podcast. Thanks for listening.